0: Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Breffney Early and you are listening to In Focus here on the podcast. Today we're talking to one of Leitrim's probably most high-profile administrators, former referees and all-round raconteurs. Tommy Moran has emceed more than his fair share of events all around the county as well as holding the position of secretary in Leitrim GA for over two decades He went on to serve as the chairman of Connacht Council as well as refereeing virtually every level of Gaelic football to All-Ireland final level. The only thing we'll chat about later is he didn't get to referee a senior football final, stopping at the semi-final stage, but he did get to that semi-final stage. We talk all about his successes, his memories, his view on where the GAA is today as well as lots and lots of memories of growing up in Leitrim and his life and times in the county. Tommy, one of the county's truly, truly funny individuals. I had a great time sitting down with him, and here is the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago. I hope you enjoy it. Tommy, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Bethany. Now, you don't need an introduction, but I'm well, going to give you one anyway. And, of course, primary school principal over in Dramila, right. near Carrie Gallen, heavily involved in the GAA at all levels, from club, Shauna O'Hesland's. Right up to lead from GAA secretary there for I think eighteen seasons, and you served as vice chairman and chairman of Connacht Council right. about fifteen years ago. Yeah, that's that? right. Yeah, uh, and you've been I suppose involved in all walks of life in the GAA. Not a big man in stature, but you had the authority to be an inter-county referee and and refereed some pretty big games over the, the your career. We'll talk about that later on okay. in the show, but as well on stage off stage, behind the scenes, writing plays, uh, you've done a lot of stuff in, in your lifetime.
1: I've done a mixture of things, you know, I um, see, jack of all trades and master of none, is, you know, the usual thing, you know, <laughs> as most national teachers would be very involved in whatever area they'd be teaching in, you know, so when I was in, Car- in Dramila, I was there for, th- for 41 years, 30 of which is spent with Catherine Hanley, who lives in Ballynmore now. We live close to each other. And I have to say that working with her was a pleasure, and we never had one row that's you know, or an argument. Even, really? Over 30 years, really. Yeah, and she's a beautiful lady, and I'm very honoured to have started with her. Um, but like that, I became involved in the Carygallan players because I was teaching in the parish, you know, and that was before the Corn Mill players started. But basically, it's a lot of the same group. Gus Ward was there at the time, and... Um, Aidan Hart, Lord Emerson and Peter McNamee and a lot of them have passed on Sadie Maguire. Frank McLean was producer at that time but producing a play at that stage was much different than it is now. Frank McLean used to say it was learn the lines and once you learn the lines it didn't matter whether you were standing on the right side or the left side or the next stage you could stand wherever you wanted or turn your back to the audience or anything. Then Father Patsy Young came to Drumeel, to Carrygallan Parish the same year as I happened to go to Dramila, that was in 1963. So the following year he took over as, as producer and uh, he just had, had a, some sort of a, an insight into it all. You know, he became one of the best producers in Ireland, but uh, he started like the rest of us, you know, just very basic. And uh, at one time we'd be going around looking for a table or a chair, wherever we are doing a play up in Potterhy or in Kilnalec or wherever. But he had everything marked out and he had a stage, he drew plans of the stage and he made it sort of very professional. And, uh, you know, we started going to drama festivals. In the beginning there were just local drama festivals that didn't lead to an All-Ireland or anything like that. But gradually we got better on him and the plays became more sophisticated and the lighting became better and the sets were good, you know, so we did progress. And I remember we won the the All-Ireland Confined and then that gave us an entry into the Athlone. Athlone being
0: the All-Ireland finals. Yeah,
1: and uh, I won Best Supporting Actor at that, so uh, that was a big thrill for me altogether to win that. Uh, Seamus O'Rourke, of course, won... Later on, and lots of the Carrie Gallon players have won, and Seamus won the best actor at the All Ireland. But subsequent to that, they built the theatre in Carrie Gallon, you know, and then the, the, called the theatre the Corn Mill because there used to be a corn mill at the location, and then a lot of the same cast, like. Cillian McGuinness and Ghost Ward and all of those stayed on, you know. And then I was involved very much in the GA, and I really hadn't time to be in the drama. But I loved the stage and still love to be acting, actually.
0: But you did combine the GA and your love of drama through score. Oh, I did, I suppose, yeah. Uh, The score
1: competitions, of course, are very short-lived. You know, they're going since 1970, but, I mean, it's it's a short season enough uh, because it would be the week before the score competition, we'd begin to think of what to do in it, you know. And Baltimore always, and you know, all the clubs in the county always had singers and dancers and performers. And it was good for the G in that way that it brought in a lot of new people people who had no interest in going to football matches or whatever. A lot of them were very interested in having kids dance or play music or, you know, go on quiz teams and that sort of thing. So I used to write lots of bits of silly and novelty acts, and uh, we won three all our, we We won a number of All-Irelands in Baltimore, but I happened to be in three of them, but other ones I had written and I used to produce or help produce them and so on. So Baltimore is one of the best um, clubs in the country, you know, for having won All-Irelands. But it's not all about winning All-Irelands. We had a great crack at it and entertained everybody and entertained ourselves. And we had busloads going to the All-Ireland and coming back... You know, the score used to be on Saturday night and I remember coming back from Dublin and they were going to First Mass in Baltimore and Pat Fannin was dancing up and down the middle of the bus at the same time. We were only arriving back from the score that had finished 11 o'clock the night before. So, but it did open up the G.A. to a lot of people, I think, who normally wouldn't have been involved in it. And then when the families became involved, it probably led to a lot of the girls becoming interested in the G.A. and then subsequently playing football and so on. You know, so it was an important aspect. Well, some people had no time. Time for it and so on but it was it was an important aspect. I enjoyed it you know when I did MC at all islands and various things and you know you, you never be stuck for a job at score and <laughs> that's one thing about it. Um, but Leitham has, has a very good record in that, you know, and it's glad to see that it's still going, you know, and it's a long time since 1970. So there's a whole new committee now run at the Cross and Girls, and, and, you know, there's loads of new, well, that's what you need. You don't need old fellows like yourself at it now, you know. Oh. And them um, have won quizzes, you know, all on quizzes, and they've won it uh, recitation, recitation, have won, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, solo singing, solo I guess. singing Ballot and and singing and dancers have won, they've won the set dancing and the figure dancing, and you know, and the, the scoring and hold of a lot of winners as well, you know. So it, it, it's, it's great, and it provided a platform for people as well.
0: In terms of your love of the GA, because the GA has played a massive part in your mm-hmm. life, and I think most of your. Profile or your people who know who you are is through your roles in the GAA. Both I'm going to say, as a player back, is it were you a player? Well, I was a very limited player
1: now. I have to admit, that's one thing I couldn't do very well. I saw a word, a new word that seems to have come in, it's deselect. I'd be selected on the team when there'd be about 12 or 13 there, and I'd be corner forward or left half forward or whatever. And then somebody else would come and I'd be deselected. I'd be out in the line or whatever. But I didn't mind, you know, I used to play for the crack. But you would, you know, long before we ever joined the formal GA, we were playing football on the street in Ballinamore, you know, kicking ball on the street because there was very little traffic at the time, you know. We used to slide on the street and did everything. And then Paddy Dolan, of course, would probably be the first lad around the place to have a football and uh, we'd go to a field where the barracks is now in Ballinamore and we'd pick two teams and Paddy of course had the ball so he also got, always got first pick and if the team wasn't winning he'd get huffed and he'd go home with the ball and that ended the game but we played and then I remember uh, Ballinamore there was always a great interest in Ballinamore in football and um, in 1952, Leithram were in the Connacht junior final and there were, happened to be training in Baltimore. The pitch had just opened that year. And Columba Crane and Brian Swinney were on the team, you know, and there was a number from around willan and so on, on the team. And Pike McGarty was on it, of course, as well. So we used to be down in the park and that was, you know, great to be there and kicking the ball back out to Columba Crane. He'd be practising the freeze and Cahill Flynn and so on and Leedsham got to the All-Ireland Junior final that year. I remember going with Oliver McKeown, a man who never went to a football match, late Oliver McKeown, but he decided to go to the final. He must have brought bad luck on the team because he only scored two points. <laughs> Mead won 11 points to two in Breffley Park. And uh, then after that, of course, led to the great Leedsham team of the 50s. You know, Packy McGarrity, Kyle Flynn, Columba Crian, Noel Blessing. You know, there was magnificent team and I often think that um, at the time immigration was very high just as it had been back in the 80s and has been recently as well but there were great players, from Mike Dillon from Clune and Joe Bowen from Garth Lettre and Pascal Martino from Manor Hamilton and um, Eddie Rowley from mohol and uh, I think I mentioned Joe Bowen. Well, a lot of them went to America in that in the mid fifties. And if they had been around when McGarity and the boys were playing, they certainly would have won the kind of finals. A number of them, I would imagine. And that team was unlucky in that they came up against the great Galway team with Sean Porcell and Frankie Stockwell and Jack Mah- Mahan and Jack Mangan and all those players. Uh, and terribly unlucky not to win. But at that time there was something in the, in the psyche. I remember the nineteen fifty seven kind of final. Sorry, 1958 Carlow final, and Leitrim were beaten by two points, two ten to one eleven. I can even remember the score. And Paddy Dolan was playing at the time, even though he was quite young. Paddy started playing like Paddy McGarty, started playing for Leitham when he was sixteen. And you know, Paddy McGarity was cheered off the field that day because he had such a magnificent game. But Leeds were nearly happy to come within two points of college. It seemed like success. So it took a long time for that to get out of the system. And that was one of the things that in 1994, that you know, the players were different then. There were you know, a lot of students in it. There were fellows doing degrees and so on. And they didn't want to talk about the past or anything like that. I know that your own uh, grandfather would have been... Um, uh, playing with Leeds and back in 1927, grand uncle, grand uncle, my uncle's uncle, Paddy sorry. Carey. Paddy Carey, that's right. Yeah, sorry, excuse me. And um, you know, 67 years was a long time for to win again in 1994. But the players at that time, before we get on to
0: 94, Surrey, Tommy, because yeah. I want to spend a bit of time on that. But because you were intrinsic to that, you were secretary of the county board at that time. Yeah. But you're let's talk a bit, rewind a little bit back to your own involvement in inter-county sport, and that would have been with the whistle in black in the middle um, oh, as a yeah, referee. Yeah. So how did you end up in a referee's uniform in the middle of Crowe Park, refereeing an all-around semi-final? <laughs> well, it probably started in college when I was in St. McCartan's in Monaghan.
1: I, I couldn't make the team, you know, but we used to have junior leagues and senior leagues and all that. And I'd be playing in the junior leagues, of course. Anybody could, everybody was on a team in some form or other. And then I used to referee a few senior league games, and they were tough, mind you. And then when I went to the training college, I was involved with the Aarons Hope team. Uh, again, not as a player, of course, but I just wanted to be there. I was gathering up the jerseys and so on, so I had lots of training at doing that. The priest asked me to look after the dressing room in the in the college, and whenever it was finished, the recreation, I'd go around and pick up the socks and the tugs and the jerseys and you know pile them all away and get them laundered and all the rest. And uh, So then when I I went to... The, After the Trainer College, uh, when I came back to Ballinamore, I remember being at a match, we were playing Drumkeeren down in Drumkeeren, and the referee hadn't, I can't remember who it was, but he hadn't turned up. And they decided then they would toss for a referee. So Eamon O'Grady was nominated by Drumkeeren. I happened to be nominated by Ballinamore, and you could say I won or I lost, but anyway, the, the toss happened with me, and I refereed the match, and I must have done too badly because. Uh, the next week I was refereeing another match. So in the county board, as Peter Flynn famously said one time, all you need to be a referee in Leitham is a whistle and a car. So I had no car at the time, but I had a whistle anyway and it started referee and then and gradually, you know, you get appointed to games and county finals and so on. And I got some minor league games and Connacht and um then, of course, getting the National League game was a big honour. I remember off, Lee and Longford played the first National League game that I won, and you'd be running to by the paper Sunday morning to see the thing about you in the paper. And what I realised afterwards, when you weren't mentioned, it, it, meant you had a good game. Just give the name of the referee, and that was it. So I was appointed some games in Connacht did three Connacht finals, and uh, gradually got appointed two other games at national level, you know, so...
0: Now, as I mentioned, you did the All-Ireland semi-final between Dublin and Down. Down right. What year was that? That was
1: 19... Sorry. 1977. So yeah, 77.
0: And you did referee in other All-Ireland finals at under-21, minor, college oh, yeah,
1: level. I did, yeah, I did under-21 and minor. And... All Ireland Colleges. I remember that was. I remember that game so well. Um, Moat had won a number of All Irelands, but they were playing the team from Castlebar in the All Ireland Colleges final in Hyde Park. And Cas- Clare Morris, sorry, not Castlebar, Claire Morris team were winning the whole way through the game, right up to about. I suppose the injury time wasn't as prominent then as it is now but it was in the day and moments of the game anyway and a high ball went in and I remember a game he played with, with Mayo afterwards he happened to lift the ball off the ground you know so I had to give a penalty and uh, Mote scored the penalty and won by a point and at that time all the Claire Morris subs and supporters they had already crossed the wire and they were ready to run in and the next thing they had lost the match and I remember the trainer of the Clare Morris team, the priest, he came over to me after and said, you know, you're a very honest man. He had, you know, he says, I admire you for doing that. It was a penalty and... We paid the price, you know, so sometimes you make decisions like, you know, but they talk about referee, you know, being against the team. But when a foul happens, you just blow the whistle or whatever, or you decide to let, you know, let play run or whatever. You don't be thinking, well, it's, uh, I don't want Cavan to win or I don't want Kerry to win. You know, that doesn't come into your head at all. You do it sort of spontaneously. And, you know, um, a referee, the no more than a player, I suppose, is only as good as his last game, you know. Some counties like me refereeing and other ones didn't want me at all and that's the way it goes, you know.
0: In terms of, I suppose, regrets, would you look back on that and say, I would have liked to have done a senior final. Was there any jealousy when Seamus oh, Pryor got the honour? No, no, had I was it?
1: delighted Seamus Pryor. Seamus Pryor would be one of my b- very best friends. I was delighted that he, he got the All-Ireland and he did a great job on it, you know, and he deserved it. You know, he was a great referee. You know, he'd have a regret or he said, I, God, I would have loved to have... I, I think it was almost refereeing the... 1982, um, that the one with Kerry were going for five in a row. Peter so McGrath got it. And the
0: Seamus Derby game. Seamus
1: Derby game, you know. I think I was in line for that, but it didn't get any... Peter McGrath got it anyway, and Seamus um, scored a famous goal.
0: It's I'm thinking that was around the time when you took on the role as Secretary of the County Board.
1: Yeah, well, the reason I took on that role is another very good friend of mine, Stanley Cox, died very suddenly. And um, I was Central Council delegate at the time. I had been for about seven years before that. I succeeded Leo McAlynden. And I would have been a very poor follow-up to Leo McAlynden. He was an excellent delegate. Uh, and Stanley died from a heart attack. And it upset everybody in, in the whole his family, of course. It was very hard on them and, and on the county. But I, I became secretary then in 1982. And uh, if Stanley had lived, I wouldn't have been secretary at all. You know, he was a very, very close person, a friend of mine. And um, then I was secretary until when the millennium came and everybody was talking about viruses and, you know, computers were going to crash and what have you. I decided it was time for me to crash out of the GAA. Uh, see, when I was secondary, I, I suppose I spent more time photocopying than anything else. There were no mobile phones or texts or whatever. Uh, I'm not saying they have it easier now, but I would, have spent, I would have spent a lot of time doing what a child could do, you know, just photocopying things and putting them in the envelopes and posting them off. And you'd have the fixtures thrown out and you just have them post it and somebody would ring and say, oh Jesus, don't put it down for a match next Sunday, you know, such a fellow's getting married on Saturday. And then you'd have to do the whole lot again if you wanted to oblige them, you know, so... There was a lot of time spent at that type of work. And I remember when we'd be training, training would normally be in tune, but sometimes and Sean McGovern might ring me and say, God, don't come up to the pitch this evening, it's flooded, you know. So then you'd have to inform the players... You know, and that would mean making probably thirty-five phone calls, half-minute phone calls. You say, "Don't go to Clunesie, or go to Fina, or go to Carrick, or wherever it was." So, all that the technology has helped, I think, in the administration. You know, the text now, and you can get
0: one WhatsApp message to everybody funny, in seconds, everybody gets the same or an email, things, with fixtures, or email, whatever. Yeah.
1: It's, it's all done in seconds. You know, but I mean, every county secretary was the same at the time. You know, but uh, it, it meant a lot of work. You know, there was never a day where you could say, I have nothing to do today, because you had fixtures to do out or whatever, and you'd be writing and writing. And um, I remember a neighbour of mine, he came into the house one day, I was doing out the fixture list, and I had ruled the page, you know, it's venue, date, time, and all the rest. And he said, God, he says, see you're still living in the Stone Age. He had, he was working on... <laughs> Hugh Reynolds, he was working on video games at the time, and he thought this was prehistoric to be doing it that way but it has changed since of course and everything is just takes it out now and fixtures are made at the last minute and everybody accepts them
0: in terms of you you stepped down from that role as you said the very very end of the last millennium that's a, right, in december because yeah. i actually started my in that's the right involvement. you were a pro yeah, yeah so i came that's in right. the at the same convention that you stepped out at yeah but that wasn't your last involvement in in football, no, although not uh, intentionally, because Leo Kenny has put, was put forward Le- at the Leo time. Leo Kenny
1: was, was was had been appointed as uh, uh, vice chairman, vice chairman or vice president, or whatever you know. The chairman's president is the mm-hmm. same thing basically, and. Uh, Leo had just been appointed and would have been a great, he was a great kind of council delegate, a marvellous GA man. Now, he was a man steeped in the GA, you know, in his own club, Ballyman, Man, and he had been in Castlereagh and he wrote a number of GA books. And indeed, I worked with him on one of the leads from GA books afterwards. And, um, but Leo died suddenly at a GA function here in Carrick and Shannon. And then I was asked, would I go for Connacht? And I wasn't sure. Joe Flynn and Seamus Pryor were, were the delegates at the time, and I thought one of them would, you know, would be anxious to do it, but they, they said no, and they asked me, would to go ahead? So Michael McGowan was also interested, and I happened to win the vote, so that's how we became involved in Connacht. Unfortunately, it was as a result of another good friend of mine dying, you know. So uh, I was with Connacht, I enjoyed the time with Connacht. Uh, and um, it was three years, because Lee had just started, so I became vice-president immediately, and then I became president. And then later on, uh, it was Leithram's turn. You see, in, in Leinster, they're voted in, but in Conniple, it's only the five counties. Uh, it's a rota. It's, it's an a rotor system. So it was Leithram's turn for the PRO, and Joe, the late Joe Flynn was chairman here in Leedsham at the time. And he asked me where to go, and I said, Oh, God bless him, no, you better got that somebody young that knows all about computers and all that sort of thing. And he said, well, they have asked a good few, and he asked the current PRO at the time, was Colette Fox, and she wasn't interested in doing it. So I found myself back in Connacht Council as PRO. And um, so that was another three years. Actually, I spent nine years with Connacht Council then, you know.
0: What was your takeaway from that? Because very few Leiton people actually get that experience of being involved in the GA... Outside the county, in terms of the administration?
1: Oh, yeah, well, of course, see, when you're president of the provincial council, you're automatically on the management committee. And I suppose, um, funny enough, I was on at the same time as Jerry Mahan, my neighbour, Jerry Mahan, and he had been on it previously, but it was his turn to come again uh, at Central Council. It, it follows a rotor system for Connacht as well. And uh, one of the big things I was involved in was actually the, the discussions and the uh, opening of Croke Park for the soccer and rugby. And I was seeing I was on the management committee at the time, Sean Kelly, who was the president at the time, and he asked me, would I go? And there was only a small group uh, from the GA meeting, The Philip Brown and John Delaney and some other members, uh, from the rugby and, and the soccer, and they wanted to rent Croke Park. And Sean Kelly had, well, he was the main reason behind it. Then. He got the clubs to really, you know, make sure that the club the delegates voted the way the clubs wanted them to vote. So it was passed anyway that it would be available for soccer and rugby. So it was you, at, at those, yeah, uh,
0: you had that experience of meeting John Delaney. I can't let the name pass at, at the time without asking you your opinion on on him in that situation did you have much contact with him what I hadn't did you really him?
1: but you know, we just had a few meetings now but I, I would have to say I found him extremely he was a very nice man he seemed to be involved in the GA club he had young kids playing hurling and I think he was training them as well and Philip Brown and then there were other officials from the IRFU and the FAI but there was no whisper of anything at the time you know and uh, Of course, I didn't know him, and he didn't know me or know many of the other GA people, you know. um, We had a very good committee meeting them, I have to say, and I would have to say I was a very small voice in probably in... You know, we had made a decision to allow them in, and Sean Kelly was anxious that they would be allowed in. So it really boiled down to agreeing on on the money end of it, you know, and what would happen with the various... uh,
0: Retail outlets Retail outlets That are in
1: the place And you know So there was a lot Of discussion about it I think it was The best thing to do My idea was that It would have been Terrible at the time If if Ireland were playing Their home games Over in England somewhere And you could imagine An aeroplane Or a helicopter Or probably a drone now Going over Croke Park And showing an empty Croke Park And then showing the people At the airport Going off to a home game You know I think it would have been Bad for the country So it turned out It didn't do the G.A. any harm As a matter of fact I think it did the G.A very well you know and it was very emotional then when they, when they played the rugby games in croke park you know everybody remembers that when, when france came to play the rugby team and I remember some of the areas rugby players crying when they were you know during the national anthem they were so
0: emotional about actually playing in croke park but i think as well there's even an argument still for the bigger games like say england or france at home mm-hmm. in the six nations or maybe in ireland germany or an ireland Brazil game mm-hmm. of a of, of consequence that you could actually go, we'd play that in Croke Park rather than yeah, the well, Ava. I think
1: now see, it, it has been passed now, the whole thing has changed now. It's been passed now, the Central Council can give permission. It doesn't have to go to Congress anymore. So it'd be more straightforward thing if there was a World Cup final or, you know, whatever European final had been played in Ireland or in Ireland and England at Croke Park or possibly Park Kiev and, you know, Castle Bar and maybe Salt Hill, whatever, you know, I'm sure that it would be passed.
0: Yeah, from an economic... There,
1: there's po- a new thinking of it.
0: Yeah, from an econ- economic point of view as well, it makes absolutely no sense to have 40,000 people who would buy a ticket sitting at home watching it and, and tell you or in the pub. Let's talk about teaching for a moment because right. you spend a lot of time <clears throat> developing skills in, in others through your work um, in Dramila National School. How big a part in, in that life? Were you a teacher who was involved with the GA? Or were you a GA man who happened to have a teaching job on the side?
1: <laughs> One day, Seamus wrote that <laughs> Seamus said recently that he, he learned nothing when he was in Drumila, and he learned nothing when he was in the tech and Carry Gallon. but he, he certainly learned it somewhere anyway. He's a marvellous man. Um, no, no. When, when you were teaching, I enjoyed teaching, and I, I got on very well with the children and with their families and so on. And uh, my idea was that to try, and of course, there was nothing about autism or you know a lot of those things that by the time I was finishing teaching we had you know special needs assistance and that sort of thing but that hadn't been in the beginning and um, I remember when I was going to school myself if a child was writing with his left hand the nuns or someone would be slapping them because they said you'll destroy your brain if you're writing with your left hand and so on so if somebody wrote with their left hand I let them write with their left hand you know so I hope I wasn't too strict but um, I suppose the best way to judge is to meet lots of past pupils now, and they still you know, talk to you. They still speak to me anyway, so it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, when you think back, you say, oh, "I should have done this a different way" or whatever. You know, but um, no, I try to keep the GA away from the school. You know, and um, well, the, as I said. Uh, Teaching for people involved in the GA teaching is an ideal job because you're finished early in the day, then you have the weekends off and so on. And I can understand with players now and a lot of demands on them. If somebody is self-employed, it's almost impossible to be heavily involved in the GA. You know, um, or if somebody is self-employed to be getting Saturdays off or taking Saturdays off to train and so on. It, the teaching or those sort of jobs are a big a big help to anyone in the GA.
0: Absolutely. Uh, it, it's crazy busy at times when you're self-employed, particularly, say, if someone's working on a farm or someone's working in construction. Right, yeah. and you get those long days during the summer you want to be working. Yeah, and
1: so you'd have to admire parents, you know, the farmers. An awful lot of footballers from Leeds would come from farming families. And um, you have to say that I, I can never remember any player saying he couldn't come because he had to do the silage or whatever, you know, you had to go to the bog or whatever. So it was never an excuse. The, 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 they were always, I suppose it was considered an honour for them to be playing with the team, even with a club team. And the GAA has that thing ingrained with everybody. is, you know, Leitham or Ballon or Carrick, whatever club, or Ahuilin, whatever club it is, comes first. We have to honour that the club by, if you're good enough to play with them, you should be available to train with them and so on.
0: And obviously Ballinamore has played a big part in your life, whether it was the Gaelic Club or the the drama group that we mentioned earlier or mm. the novelty act and the score. But you're now involved in a new development in Ballinamore, which is the the development of the island theatre. What's yeah, your what's your role in that or what's Well, that? I'm just
1: on the finance committee really. Um no there is a, a committee a, you know, an executive committee that's doing the work and they decided what should be done with the hall? Well, they did it after consultation with practically everybody in the town, or anybody who wanted to submit ideas. You know, they were taken on board, and all the you know the voluntary committees around the place had their input into it. You know, particularly the music, the in the drama and all that. But the, the hall is for everybody, and um, it's it's expensive. Uh, it's going to cost a lot of money, but they have there's three hundred thousand. Got from grants and so on from a number of sources, you know. And so it's up to the local community to raise another 300,000. So I'm just on the finance committee with that and trying to ask people if they pay, you know, a certain amount of money each year. So they have a scheme going that if they were hoping that people would pay 250 pounds a year or euro rather a year for five years, and then there's a, a draw at beginning in January for 5,000 for anybody who had paid during this. 2019, you know, so it's but only one person can win the money, of course. So all the others, are paying it out of goodwill towards the, you know, everybody likes to see a good community centre, and I think Baltimore would be an ideal place for drama festivals as well, because there's sort of a history of drama going back for years and years and years in it, you know, and the musical societies, and you know, they can also show films in it, and you know, it's, you know, have meeting rooms and all that. So it be it's it's an island theatre, but the canal runs on, on two side, three sides of it, so it's sort of confined, so it had to be a, a reconstruction job rather than tossing the old hall and building a new one, you know, because the location is... It's, it's always important, I think, to have a football pitcher, you know, we'll say the community centre, whatever, in the town because it generates a little bit of business for the town as well, and it looks better, and you see the people around the town. Rather it's than accessible the other, for the children it as it well. It is, of to course, yeah, yeah, and people are able to, children are able to access it easily and so on.
0: Absolutely Tommy you've been around a few Christmases and I know Christmas isn't we're recording this previous to Christmas Day but it'll be aired afterwards how has Christmas changed in the period of time and how has Leitrim changed over the last I'm going to say 70 plus years Yeah I'm 78
1: at the moment so (laughs) well I don't remember all 78 but I remember Uh, 73 or something of them. Um, I suppose the thing that has changed an awful lot because, I mean, there's so much concentration now on children for Christmas and Santi and what have you. Um, We used to go to Cryons to visit Santi and it was like going into a wonderland. It was the same shop as it was the day before, but somebody used to dress up as Santi and and we actually thought we were meeting the guy from the North Pole and we'd be looking in the window. I'm going to get that and I'm going to get that and all the rest would the Wehrmacht. But it would be a game of Ludo or a game of drafts, or something like that. So possibly what has changed is the type of presence that Santi brings to children now. This ever-loving gentleman, he's around for a long time now, but I hear my own grandchildren talking about they're getting some electronic gadget. Uh, I, I I don't even know the name an Xbox, or, Xbox PlayStation or PlayStation or Switch or and all these things and uh, um, young kids are getting mobile phones now. now we had mobile phones all right. we used to make them of a, when you would empty a can of pea, a tin of peas or a tin of beans or something we used to bore a hole in the bottom and put a string from one to the other and you'd put a fella down the road a bit and you'd be shouting into the can and he'd hold the can to his ear and we imagined we could hear each other they were the mobile phones we had but they have real mobile phones now so I'd say that's one of the things that has changed very I remember we'd be getting maybe a cap gun I remember I got a cap gun for Christmas and uh, a roll of caps. That And I went down to Packy Moore, and Packy was not a relation, but a good friend of ours. He lived in Baltimore at the time. He was a watchmaker and a musician, and he could fix nearly anything. So I asked him if he'd fixed the, the gun for me. But whatever he did, anyway, he broke the spring in it. And I was about six at the time. And, of course, I thought it was Roy Rogers going round... Kicking the gun and firing the caps at everybody. It wouldn't fire the caps anymore. And I never forgave him. <laughs> I hope he's in heaven now, but I hope when I, when I go up there, I'll get him to fix my cap gun right. But then you would be running over, be going down to my good friend Noel Sweeney, who's also a cousin of mine, see what he get. He might have got a game of drafts, and Shane Sweeney might have got a game of Ludo, and Frankie Byrne might have got a, you know, a football or something like that. And they were all simple things, but just, we were delighted. It
0: was marvellous. It's and funny, we had Eamon McGowan in earlier in the series and he said he, his favourite toy was a cap gun as well. Yeah, but mine, mine was He wasn't gun. broken though, his was working.
1: <laughs> <laughs> mine are... was working when I got it, but of course I, I didn't know what I did with it. See, we were, lived beside the Lyric Cinema in Baltimore and a lot of the films were cowboy films. So we knew Johnny McBride and Roy Rogers and Hopalong Cassidy you know, was as if they were living in the town, you know. And we wanted to be like them and we'd be running down the hill and clapping ourselves on the backside as if we were riding a horse and all that sort of stuff you know it's very important to have a gun
0: or whatever and a fairly vivid imagination it seems and, uh, yeah
1: we had great imagination that would that would be the thing that kids now, if, if their toy breaks down or whatever they're straight away they want daddy to get another charger for it or order it something else online or whatever you know uh, we played games in the fields and up and down the street and so on and We had pea shooters that's like a tube. We used to fire haws out through them and catapults. And we used to have a hoop that'd be an old bicycle wheel and we'd be hurling it down the street. And uh, everything was homemade or handmade or whatever you call it. But that would be the, one of the biggest changes of Christmas. Uh, the Christmas was always busy in the shops. I used to spend a lot of time in Dolan's shop and Mrs. Dolan, and that's Patty Dolan's shop. She would always have a Brack. Well, Halloween wouldn't be the normal time for a Brack, but everybody, every customer, full-time customer, would get a Brack and maybe a bottle of orange. It'd be like that My Wadi orange, you know, and maybe a half dozen of stout or something like that. There'd be a Christmas box from the shop. And the Christmases, you know, we all, I can never remember being hungry. My mother was a marvellous cook anyway. She made box tea and not for Christmas. Halloween was the big time for box tea, but we were never hungry and, you know, we'd arrange in the house and she could cook away and, you know, there was always... I don't know if it I can't remember if it was a turkey or a, a chicken, whatever it was, anyway, we'd have lots to eat and custard and jelly and all that sort of stuff. But... And people coming home was a big thing, you know. Everybody comes home now, or a lot of people come home. I mean, at the airports now, they're making programmes that people just arriving at the arrivals there and asking where they're coming from and so on. And they might not be coming for the weekend, you know, from... Europe, or, you see, they're scattered all over the place now, but at that time people were mostly in England or in America, and of course the parcels from America would have been a big thing for Christmas, I'm sure the kids have run a mile now, if they saw the parcels from America, there'd be a big box coming, and there'd be clothes in it that would not be completely different than the clothes here, you know, there'd be vivid colours in it, and dresses would be sort of silken dresses and so on. You know, if the people got them now, they wouldn't wear them in a fancy dress. I don't think. You know, the the but we thought they were great, and they were them lovely, and wore them. And everybody got Christmas parcels, and then the people, you know, I often wonder the people used to post turkeys to America. How that worked, I honestly don't know. It, was, it <laughs> sounds turkey. like a recipe for
0: disaster. I wouldn't like to see the recipe at the end of that.
1: <laughs> so there's a lot of chefs telling you how to cook a turkey now. I don't know what recipe they'd have for uh, cooking a turkey that was being posted in Baltimore or 8 in New York.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tommy, thank you so much for coming in and thank you so much for everything you've done for Leitrim over the, the last 78 oh, years. No, no. I'm,
1: very, I'm very proud of Leitrim man and anything you can ever do for Leitrim, I'd be delighted to do it.
0: We didn't really talk about 94 at all, which is kind of nice. That's because you, you've probably do. talked about that uh, forever and a day for the yeah, last 25 yeah, years.
1: Yeah. What we want is another Briefly, is The next one is the important one now. And is that realistic? Well, uh, you know, it's... I suppose before '94 you say there was a really? you know you could ask the same question in 1992 you know say that, and when P.J. Carroll came at that time, he, he changed the whole mindset. That was one of the important things. but another point that happened of course at that time we, we had a lot of good players at the time. you know we had a better panel possibly than there is now, you know, but uh, it, it's getting more difficult for Leeds from every year because you see Mayo and Galway and Roscommon. you know. The, have far more numbers and far, far more facilities and all that but Leitham has done the, Leitham County Board has done matter it's one of the best county boards in the country now and Anna Duff, I would hate to let this go without paying tribute to them for what they've done I mean getting out of Division 4 was big and you remember the day in Croke Park that was a fantastic day the biggest crowd that ever had followed the team for a division four final and the hurlers winning the Lorry Mara Cup, you know. And then the the opening of Vandenhoek, the Centre of Excellence was a marvellous thing for Leitham. So, you know, the the thing is going well but Everybody would like to see another 1994, and I certainly would, and I hope to deliver to see the next one, whenever it is. Time is getting short on my side, not on the Leithram of plenty of time. I probably don't have that much time left.
0: Well, listen, we waited 67 years for the last one. That means we've about 42 to go if the average is, is consistent. Tommy Warren, thank you so much for coming and having not a chat. All, and the very best. And
1: every success to Leithram Daily, and well done on and you and, and uh, your staff for the great work that you do. It's marvellous to have something like this for Leithram.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And that, folks, is all we have time for today. Thank you so much to Tommy Moran for sitting down with me and sharing some of the stories. We didn't even talk that much about football. It was so entertaining and so interesting listening to Tommy talk. We must have him back on the show again. Well that is it for today and we will be back tomorrow with a look at what's on around the county for the next seven days. Talk to you then.